Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, which we also may refer to as the plague, and how it quite literally changed the game for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. And we are so lucky to have one of our favorite guests back with us today, Emmy the Odd. Welcome, Emmy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be back. Love talking with y'all. It's a pleasure to have you. So before we go into this, I just want to do a little preamble here that this isn't meant to be a political podcast, even though I do struggle even saying that since, you know, it's not really a political issue. But beyond that, it's also not meant to cause any offense to people who have been harmed by COVID as well. You know, there's a lot of serious implications that come with it. Uh, but we're wanting to talk about it in the TTRPG space, about how it has changed things over time. So we're going to just jump right in and talk about how the landscape existed in the whole TTRPG space before COVID. So, and I know that, you know, Brian was more of the, the hobbyist collector at that time, but I know Emmy and I both gamed before then. But I would just start off by saying that for me, it was definitely a much more niche environment. It was more difficult to, number one, find acceptance, especially before Stranger Things, but then also to find people to play with. So you definitely hung around specific hobby shops or specific groups, especially people you met in school. It wasn't like you would just easily find somebody to play with. It was very much a you had a dedicated group of people you'd play with. You could sometimes find strangers, new people. You do meetups, that sort of thing. But for the most part, it wasn't quite as accessible or understandable as it is now. What about I feel you? like I'm listening to my parents or my grandparents talk about uh, the olden days. <laughs> up way, up in the uphill, both ways. <laughs> it's impossible. You had to pry those D20s out of a skeleton's hand if you... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I definitely would say that it it was different, both both better and worse to a degree, but mm -hmm. like, because I do think it changed it in many ways. But before, I would say that I had a different kind of standard for what I wanted out of a D&D &D game. I would say that it was a lot harder to get people to kind of dedicate down to this. And so I had a couple of games that I played fairly casually in. And I I guess I enjoyed them to a degree because I was going, but I think I was mostly enjoying them because I was playing D&D &D and I wanted to play D&D &D really, 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 really badly. One of my very favorite things to do. And then I had one game that was kind of like my heart game that was just like constantly enjoyable, constantly amazing and fun. But it was definitely a thing that I, it was a hobby that was coming, I think, more to the spotlight at the time. But it was also not a thing that lots of other people outside of my little nerd group really understood. I was working in a lot of film production circles at the time and film production circles are so stinking nerdy. So I got fairly lucky with that, that I was not going uphill to snowball play. But <laughs> also, I wasn't necessarily able to pitch it to people outside of that group who already kind of knew what it was. I wasn't really getting, got a handful of people introduced to it who kind of already were down that pathway anyway, but not not super a lot. So it was not, I do think it's a thing I enjoy more now than I did then for many reasons. I, I would agree with that. I think, especially like just more of the derogatory nature around gaming before COVID was definitely a challenge, especially, you know, 10, 20 years ago was definitely more challenging, yeah. very frustrating to deal with. But, you know, beyond that, I think that what was fascinating for me is is the ability of it to bring people together. And I know we'll roll into that as we get into, you know, the, the starting of COVID. But I, I, you know, when I was 
at my previous position. I remember right before COVID started, my team was asking me to run some in-person games just for like some team building stuff. So I did. And then COVID happened and then we all had to like work remotely for the most part. But during that time period, I remember like right when COVID started, I was like, well, why don't we just keep this going? Because I really hadn't worked with virtual tabletops much either. And I'm like, you know, I've, I've heard about Roll20. I'll give it a try. I'll get myself out of the regular in-person space. And that was kind of my jumping off point of just getting my team back together, still having that cohesiveness, but then then expanding from there to friends, which was a pretty cool jump. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. for me, this is a really interesting point in time because this is sort of where, I, where my D&D story comes in. But I think you it, we could have expected that with COVID, D&D would have just been decimated, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> no one can be with each other anymore by by hobby. And then we have this absolute explosion of virtual tabletops and the the rise of playing online, which is um, really awesome. So we get things like, and I think Roll20 existed before, but I think Roll20 and what are these other ones? Foundry, Owlbear, Rodeo, is that one? And a bunch of other that, that, that popped up at this time. So I would love to hear you guys talk about just like that, turning that corner. Because, I mean, I know you had a regular group and you guys were really affected by it at this time. That's correct. I was in several regular games at that time, but one of them, because the rest of them, again, they were fairly casual. And at the end of the day, they did kind of go the way of the Dodo a little bit. Like they they didn't survive that test. And ultimately, again, I, I think that says a lot more about the game itself than anything else and that particular group of friendship. Like... And I think what a lot of us went through both in our nerd lives and in our broad lives about the kind of things we went through with our friends during that time period. But the game that was really, really close to my heart, we made a decision at the beginning that we enjoyed the in-person stuff so much that we would put a pause on that particular campaign because we didn't want to lose that energy and we felt that we would digitally. Now, but we weren't really willing to stop meeting and stop playing TNT. So we <laughs> kept and we kept talking about the regular campaign, too, which is funny in hindsight. But we kept inventing new short campaigns and we went through so many short campaigns over those years. I had a, a whole notebook full of weird and funky characters that I built for that time period because I, I could. And it was really very fascinating, I think, because that meant that I was dealing with the exact same group of players every week, the same week that we would normally meet, but we weren't playing the same game we were playing, and we were playing completely different people. And I've said many multiple times in many multiple spheres that one of my favorite things about D&D is, and TTRPGs in general is becoming friends with your friends again. So it was really, really wild in the middle of all that to basically be doing this same process and it was an extremely dedicated group of people to like dd and having fun and we had a really good chemistry together as a group and so it was really really fascinating to see that play out over and over and over and over again and to learn how to interact with digital maps and prank the dm by like he had there was a the loading screen was a boat and we kept drawing little dead guys on the boat <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> things like that <laughs> that's great yeah, yeah I mean, heart saver this is i would say very similar to me too uh, i felt like you know quickly making that transition of people knew that i was running it online and covid was starting up I'm like oh well can we you know like do a big campaign i'm like sure so 
I started up Strahd at the time. Uh, little did I know that was going to take two online years uh, of playing mm-hmm. that, but it was a great time. And it was like, it was like almost like a warm cup of cocoa when I think everybody really needed some sort of stress relief. And it felt more real. And like you said, like, you know, becoming friends again with your friends, because I despise things like those like pseudo Zoom calls you'd have to do with people during COVID where it'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to do a birthday thing. It felt so forced, but playing TTRPGs felt real. And it felt like you were really having a true engagement. And it, it kept growing and growing and growing. And I remember like by the time Strahd was finished, I think I had 10 regular players legitimately that would come in wow. and play. And I think it's what we needed, I think, as, as, a, as a group, as a culture at the time of being able to have that, which we couldn't normally have. And then I think you even got the one thing that's very hard to get in d d is people to show up. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, now that we've kind of gotten back to our regular lives a bit more, that's certainly a challenge again. But at that time, I mean... That that was like the golden age, I think, of getting people to show up for games. You literally had no excuse. Like you were home, you couldn't go anywhere. So why? So yeah, you have to show up. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. It was really, really good for the heart at that time period. I agree because it was really the only interaction, this only good interaction that I had during that. I know I I worked during lockdown. So I was still going out. I was the only one of my friend group still going out. And we were all going through various stuff. I was I was the one with the scheduling issues during that time. <laughs> right. And but uh, because of all that, all of us were going through whatever we were going through and we were all feeling all of these emotions. So when I would come home and leave all that at the front door and be able to sit down and have the the only meaningful interaction with humans outside <laughs> of my house, you know, it was right. really, really great. That's cool. Yeah. And I think the, I just looked up a few data points here, but D&D sales jumped 33% in 2020. And it had been on the upswing for six years at that point. And we know that Wizards of the Coast, the parent company, their revenue went up 24% in 2020 to 816 million. So we know that our anecdotal experience was mirrored all across the country and probably the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it was, I mean, the thing about it is that COVID brought more normies into the hobby for sure. normies. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's true. I mean, it, it, you know, it's great because it does bring more people in there, but with that comes those other side effects. Like WotC was Coast is now an unstoppable juggernaut and is squeezing people. So it's like, you know, that that's the hard thing about it. It's like, oh my God, there's so many people in the hobby and there's so many things that are going on, but there's also now so many people in the hobby and now they keep buying into Watsi instead of all these other wonderful, beautiful game systems because, you know, it's the blue jeans of playing. So they're afraid to touch those other ones and that's fine, but also uh, it's accessible, but then also it's starting to shut down a lot of the wonderful niche things that we love about the hobby too. It's like that moment when your favorite band sells out. Like yes. you tell everyone yes. about your favorite band and then suddenly everyone knows about your band and then you're like, damn it, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I am hoping that's starting to evolve. I'm hoping so. Uh, I mean, again, maybe it's because I'm inundated with nerds. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe I live in a niche a niche circle of it. Because <laughs> I mean, I love playing the It's mm. great. I absolutely adore it. But I really do enjoy other systems too. And I, I'm trying to definitely make sure that people remember yeah you have blue jeans occasionally you want a suit oh, like sure. it's gonna be okay and <laughs> and i i i completely agree i mean like i think the big thing about this that ended up happening where you were saying normies ended up getting into this like 
I met so many people who told me, oh, well, I was bored. And my roommate was like, oh, well, I'm going to play D&D with my friends. Do you want to join? Or, hey, I've got this Magic the Gathering deck. You should play. <laughs> like all kinds of nerdy things that people had in their house that are designed to have people sit around a table or at what became a computer screen. Um these things that are designed to have human interaction, I think, yeah. is primarily why it ended up being important because mm -hmm. they, they're they're defined by it, and so it it really does it really does help during that time period when we didn't have it. Yeah, yeah, and Aaron, sorry, I agree with you though. I think those force Zoom meetings were so cringy. Oh, God. My family would do one every week and I would dread it and I would not want to go. But then I would find myself right when it was about to start being like, I literally have nothing else to do. So I guess I'm going to join this thing. And so being on Zoom, but having this amazing game to play instead of just look at each other and have these awkward silences or people talking over each other was so was so great for me. Can't agree enough. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was such a better activity than just kind of staring there everybody with whatever they were eating in their mm. hands everybody just looking tired trying to not talk over each other because like at a at a party where you're wandering around and mingling everybody can kind of be talking at once as opposed to every single person staring at you digitally it, but D is not like that like it, it requires a turn of operation when you're speaking yeah <laughs> I remember one of the Zoom calls, it was, I think, for a birthday where one of the attendees didn't have a shirt on. I was like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, what? Like, I can't. <laughs> this isn't that kind of environment. I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> it was an incredibly <laughs> surreal time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would say on the flip side, too, I know that I did mention that the negativity around uh, WASI getting so much of the market share. But the good news now is that the market has grown so much. That it's incredible now for a lot of these independent creators and the technology is there for them to push out a lot of new content, a lot of new game systems and mm -hmm. start to claw some of the market share back. So there's there's still a lot of good with it, too. That's really pushed a lot of people out there, just like Stu always talks about the zine scene, which is really amazing, too, where we have all these things that have grown out of it that are also positive. It's like, you know, you're kind of like David and Goliath sort of scenario, you know, except I think David's starting to, you know, pull ahead a little bit now. So, yeah. But I do think even with D&D, now that, that 5e is part of the open gaming license, I think there's a lot of amazing third-party content creators that you can patronize and not have to give any money to WotC. So I think that's kind of a cool thing too. Yeah. Where, you know, even if you're just absolutely in love with D&D, you don't have to give Wizards of the Coast your money any longer, which is cool, I think. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I will say that for better or for worse the open gaming license definitely opened that up. Like, I will say that, yeah, you can Google most anything you need to find out. You And, and that, like, you can Google and make a character sheet for free if you really want to, if you don't want to give them any money. And I think that that's also a really great accessibility tool for folks who can't spend $60 on a textbook to learn to play a game. And I do think that that has encouraged a bunch of folks to write their own stats, do their own thing, make their own systems. I think that that's great. I really do think more nerds is always better. 
I'm a, I'm a big fan. More nerds. There you go. Always right. good. Convert them all. We're like nerd zombies and we're just trying to convert everyone. <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you say that. Last night, I've been, I've been bugging my, this childhood friend of mine to play D&D with me. And last night he texts me and he finally revealed what was holding him back. And he was like, I don't know if I can afford to buy the player's handbook. That's, that's actually what was holding him back. And I was like, bro, we got you. Yeah. Just I'll, I'll give you a pair of dice when you get to my house. You don't need to buy the player's handbook. We will we will be able to take care of this. Please don't worry. Please don't yeah. buy the player's handbook. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fine. It's going to be just fine. Seriously, it's it's maybe you'll want it down the road. Maybe you'll want it. I'm a big I, I need to flip. But like I'll, I need to flip pages. But alternatively, you, you really don't. You don't need it. You really, really don't. All the rules are out there. If you're playing with a bunch of seasoned nerds, they know the rules. It's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And most of the time for your character, you really only need a one page set of rules. You can print them out for free. You can Google it, print it out. That's all you need. You don't need to know how every class works. It's going to be fine. That's right. And, you know, for our listeners, too, who don't know this, most libraries do carry a lot of the D&D books for free for you to check out for almost a month at a time. So you can actually look through library consortiums and find them and then rent them for free and see if you like it or not. Go go patronize your local library. They're amazing. The most of them have e-reader programs too. So even mm-hmm. if you don't want to bring it home, I I bet you can get it on your e-reader. Like there's so many amazing programs out there right now. Libraries are great. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. our I think I think on the show that's our first library plug, but I hope it's not our last. That's definitely not. They're so great. <laughs> yeah. I've been I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I've been running games for middle schoolers at, at a local library here in oh, Littleton. Cool. And it is really, really fun. And to your point, they bring out this, the librarian that runs the whole thing. She brings out like 50 D&D source books. She's got like a stack of players, handbooks and a stack of DMs, guides and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. Libraries are so great. And they want to help, especially if you're running, which is amazing, by the way, running programs for kids is such an important thing. Big fan of TTRPGs for kids. But they've got it. They've got it. They want to help you. They want to give you resources. That's their job. This is so great. So we've mentioned a couple of times, but I really would like to dig into the mental health and RPG connection here. And so I think personal stories are great. But also, I just wanted to mention that there's this article written by Sly Flourish called Playing D&D Can Save Your Life. And it's pretty straightforward. He cites a lot of sources and just a couple of them I want to talk about here. So one, he quotes a Harvard study of adult development, which is an 80-year study that follows the lives of 724 men um, from one specific neighborhood in Boston. And what they found was, and this is a quote from the article, the quality of their relationships with others mattered more towards their happiness and health than just about any other factor. While we often seek money, fame, and career achievement as lifelong goals, our relationships have the biggest effect on our happiness and health. On the flip side, Loneliness kills. Being frequently lonely can be as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's from science, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and I I completely see that. Just I mean, anecdotally, I know it, but it also makes sense to hear it in a study. Being I think we all felt it acutely at some point or another during lockdown, how awful loneliness is for your health. And um I I've never had friendships as strong as the people I roll dice with. Just yeah. full stop. And I don't think it has anything to necessarily do with the, oh, we're just nerds. It's it's the whole thing. It's 
the creative experience together. It's going through and having to learn and do investigative work together. It's having to do math together. It's having to dedicate a time to make sure that you see each other at a regular point. It really is such an incredible way to really hang out with humans. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it really, it's a, I mean, you're building these fantasy friendships and then you end up building real ones. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I mean, the, the other thing too, is that it's just, it's such an intimate friendship that you end up building because you do understand so much more about each other. You do understand what each other's pain points are or the vulnerability that you feel whenever you're role playing or trying to figure out what you want to do. I think that you see a lot more of somebody when you're sitting around a table rolling dice than you do if you show up and play pool or show up to a, you know, a kid's little league game together or something, go to a bar where you just talk about shenanigans and nonsense. But there's something more raw and visceral, I think, about being around the table and opening up your own psyche to other people. Yeah, and there's this, I think some of our most favorite moments of friendship are the crazy stories. So usually yes. they come from our school days, right? It's like, oh, this one night we went out, we we did this and we did that and it was wild. But I think D&D gives us as adults the opportunity to have those crazy experiences, those shared experiences with our friends that truly are memorable for years. I think we've even done this, Aaron, where we just talk about the things that happened, you know, five years ago in a game. We still just think it's like one of our fondest memories. Yeah. yeah. I, I can in immediately think of a story I tell people all the time when I'm trying to explain how D&D, like people who've never played and have this very high fantasy, and it, and it is that high fantasy heroic image of it. And like, yeah, but one time we had a heist go wrong where we both tried to go in opposite windows in the building and hit each other on the way in. Like, and that was just how it started going wrong. Like it didn't get any better from that point. <laughs> Hey, I can, it devolved and I can tell this whole story like it was yesterday mm -hmm. and it feels very real about this stupid heist that went wrong. I can Like it actually it. happened to you. It's yeah. like we've internalized these experiences as if it actually happened to us. I love it. Yeah. At no point did I crash through a window or a door. <laughs> I, I think my character went through the door, but yeah, <laughs> that didn't happen to me, but it, it did kind of. This is one of my favorite D&D &D memes that's recurring. Which is the 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 text usually says no time to explain just grab a cactus or whatever and it's just like a picture of people putting out a fire with cactus or one recently was a it was a, a python and had like ten frogs on it it was like no time to explain just hop on don't worry about it that was that that heist was the only time I did successfully use a bear trap so Ooh, nice. I will say I agree oh yeah don't 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 worry about it just just use it it's in our hands. So, Brian, I know you've mentioned it before on some of our other podcasts and in person, but I know that you have your own personal story from COVID that, you know, is more, I guess, emotional to you or more, you know, real about what you felt going through it. Yeah. And I, I also love that you've started calling me a COVID baby. And when you first said it, I was like, wait. And I was like, no, that's 100% correct. So, yeah, I I was just really going through it, like like probably most of us were. I was very sad. I was very confused. I was starting to question a lot of reality even, you know, like, I think I, I, like a lot of us, we got to this point where it's like, wait, money's just a construct. Everything's time is just a construct. What's happening to me? And I really started spinning. And there was a day where I just, I told, I was telling a joke to my partner 
And I started laughing and then I started cackling and then I started sobbing. And she looked at me and she said, I'm scared. I don't know what's happening to you. And I didn't either. I didn't understand the emotions that I was rolling through at that moment. I went outside into the cool air. I took a few deep breaths and I was like, I need something to, to root me, to ground me. And then I just remembered I used to love D&D and I think I could actually play D&D with my friends. And that ended up being the thing that brought me back and allowed me to find my center. And actually the immersiveness of being a dungeon master was perfect during quarantine because I didn't have anything else to do. I was even unemployed at the time. I would spend eight hours straight making cardboard maps <laughs> and uh, writing exposition for the world and all these different things. And so for me, I really do. And I think that's probably one of the things that even motivated me to, to get into this podcast and this business with Aaron was just how special and how fundamentally this hobby kind of saved my ass during a really hard time. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of um, what I felt, and I think uh, most people felt it too, is that part of what COVID did was break down a lot of those social structures and let people understand how fantastical they really are, whether it's our ethos as a country or a people or gender or anything like that, of understanding that there's so much that we kind of build around ourselves that is a bit silly and ridiculous. Um, but we actually find the real connections, I think, for us in our community, in the high fantasy, at the table, um, where we actually find real connections, people being compassionate and fun and love, caring and respectful, versus these other ones where we're in this sort of dog-eat-dog -dog weird world where we're sitting in our houses by ourselves. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that and the sort of groups that we spend time with. Yeah, I would say I completely agree with everything on that. I would say the big thing that came out of that for me is D&D &D is a cooperative mm -hmm. sport. I know even outside of D&D, &D, just even like on my board game shelf, I saw a an explosion in cooperative games that appeared mm -hmm. on my shelf coming out of that time period. Just because I was so tired of clawing around after all that. It was like, yeah, I, again, very similarly, a very hard time. I was working in person out outside and it was it was awful. It was just categorically awful. And we were all just tired. We were tired of all of it. And so why why are we even for jokes competing for something? And so the thing about TTRPGs is, yeah, you have to get along. You have to work together. You have to actually dedicate yourself to solving a problem. And that felt like a thing that, you know, you, we weren't really able to do outside of that. And so it was great. And it, it made it feel more possible to go outside and do that in real life because um, it felt like I'd done it already, you know. I can get these disparate group of weirdos to actually get along. And our next heist was great, by the way. That same group, bad heist. Our next heist was flawless. So if at some point we can get along well enough to do a good heist eventually, I think we're going to be okay. And it was kind of a hope provider. So let me ask you all this as veterans of the, the before times. Is the hobby better now? Is, are we better off since COVID? That's, that's oof. I would say long run, yes. But I would say that it's like anything, I'd say that you could check and balance that one back and forth all day. I would say the big thing that it did 
that I, the very least anecdotally I can see is that it really dedicated people to sitting down at tables that actually mattered to them and finding that level of mm. friendship. I would say that it was a time period where I became aware of a lot more safety tools and avoiding toxic behavior at tables than I had been before. And that it was a thing that you had to dedicate to even more during that time period. So I would say that it definitely gave me access to better, less awful groups and environments and made it able to, it was able, I was able to sell this hobby better to some people I was even closer to, which was great. I would say that it gave people the ability to call their friends who maybe live in a different state and still be able to roll dice, which is great. I, I would say yes, it, and it's better, but I think I think you could go several rounds on that one. So, so your answer is yes, but no, or no, but yes. <laughs> yes, I would say I would say mostly. I okay. would say absolutely. Yeah, I, w I would agree. I would say yes, but by here, yeah, because there there are really wonderful things that Emmy mentioned, and I don't need to list all the you know back and forth some the things oh, that are yeah. challenges. But you know, like there there are things that are more difficult now, where it's it's like now that we're not locked down, I want to play more tabletop games in person. Getting people to get away from the computer is now a challenge, you know, yeah. and then and then they fall back on that or they do other weird stuff. I mean, you, you've seen some of my stringent requirements there, Brian, like we're like, you're going to bring a paper to the table. You're not bringing a computer with you. That's kind of how we do it, because I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that Watsi is gambling a little bit on making this, you know, video gamification of their next version of their VTT. And I don't think it's going to go as well as they think for some of the audience that just wants to video game it up. And yeah, it's fine. But. I think for a lot of the core audience, we still want those human interactions that actually feel like you're still playing a human, you know. I completely agree with that. I completely agree. I do think that that's, that was the reason it exploded was that we talked about that earlier. It's, it's the human interaction. That's really what makes it good. That's really what makes it fun. It's why I know I've been enjoying playing Baldur's Gate 3, but I got to tell you, the friends of mine who talk about really enjoying it are the ones who are doing co-op games. Right, like exactly. it feels like D and D, like the, it, Baldur's Gate Three feels like a video game, which is great. But when you play it with friends, then it feels like D and D because that's what TTRPGs are: is playing with friends. It's playing with humans who are have human things that they do. <laughs> uh, humans doing the human things. Yeah, humans be human in all over the world, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> but that's what makes it great. I agree with that. Yeah, but it is it is a little bit better now. I think that we have a bigger audience, and it's it's cool. And I I, I welcome more people to this community that want to join. And I know there are people that listen to the podcast that don't currently play and are thinking dipping the toe in even more. Please do, do it. like do it. You should you should come join us. Be one of us. Do be it. One of us. Yeah. My read is more people and the problems that come with that. For sure. So yeah, no, smaller community, problem. but more gatekeeping and more maybe stigma around the hobby. Yeah, yeah. No, more I mean, people and, you know, all of that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely a, a challenge. And uh, I think that one of the things that we you know, we didn't even mention, but like, you know, one of the things before COVID is how small the community was for the most part. Mm. And it was very hard to escape toxic players then. But now yeah. when you have more people, it's much easier. It's almost like you have a Yelp of toxic players. Like, well, no, I'm sorry, you're not joining this one. Exactly. Now it's a little bit easier to get out of it. And now you have the ability to have more fresher, open, respectful spaces. Right. I completely agree. 100%. Love it.
What an amazing conversation. Well, I think that's probably going to wrap up everything we got this week, right, Brian? We did it. And Emmy, thanks again for joining. Amazing to have you. Always, always always so good to be here. I'll talk about this stuff all day. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful because we literally might make you do that one day. (laughs) Oh, no. We're going to mic you up for like 12 hours and make you talk about (laughs) D&D. Oh, no. (laughs) What a hard life. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening this week. Uh, please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy, too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye.